I like to hear when Dr. King talks about moving with strength and dignity, mm-hmm. uh, having courage. And George Adair always taught one of our favorite topics is talking on this show is about fear, which is the most fundamental emotion that people have. And I, I love this line here where he says he came out of his stuck struggle, integrated only slightly in the external society, but here it is, but powerfully integrated within. Right. This reminds me of the the 12 step world where we talk about it's our singleness of purpose that binds us together. Yeah. And I think another part of, of this speech anyway, is he says, he keeps constantly reminding his followers, we're not going to, as he says, act bad. We're not going to do violence and we're not going to throw a brick through your window. But we are, and so he's trying to a, calm the, the white community, but also, or, or convince the white community not to be worried about African American violence, but also remind his followers, we have to take the high, high road here. We can do a consumer boycott. We can do a lunch counter boycott. We can do a bus boycott. We can bring these institutions to their knees, at least for a little while, but we have to do it with purity of purpose, and we have to do it without any violence or any, as he says, as he famously says, acting bad, which is sort of, you know, um, early 20th century, sorry, parental advice. (laughs) Don't go acting bad. So, and I think that that's, that's, again, that works, right? People marching down the street with, signs and screaming will get some airtime yeah however uh having like henry david thoreau uh civil disobedience mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and actually the quakers were kind of the people in england who kind of really invented civil disobedience they yes. they just they wouldn't they, they told the king well we're not going to fight for you However, we're not going to fight against you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they just had, they had civil disobedience. And this is what Dr. Dr. King's talking about, and also voting with, with the dollars. One of the things that I'd like you to talk about, uh, Professor, is when they talk about this 120 synonyms for blackness, mm-hmm. and most of them are offensive, and 134 synonyms for whiteness, and they're all fail- favorable. Right. This is a, a concept that's actually sort of brought up early on in the in the '60s and really capitalized by Mar- uh, Malcolm X, who says, "You know, we have these things called white lies. It's a lie, but it's okay. You know, uh, uh, Miss America is white. Uh, your sins are as black as coal. The word black seems to always be added to." intensify the negativity of something and the word white is almost always used to purify the uh, the intensify the purity of something so a white angel a white halo these kinds of things and dr king has gone through and and and, and gone in, in dictionaries and, and sources and said look this is the problem <laughs> people think of the the, the black hearted beast and the knight on the white charger you know and so it gives two things happen African-Americans get sort of this internalized idea that black is bad, and white people get this, the, the mirror opposite, that white is good. And both of, those, both of those extremes are wrong. Well, if you're reading the Christian Bible and people mm-hmm. refer to the darkness, what, do, what are they referring to? Evil. Right, right. But so, many, so often, at least as the language has developed, evil has been characterized as black, the yes. color black. Yes. 
And, and of course, African-American people aren't black. You know, they're not the actual, they're not black like the tiles on this thing. But of course. people have conceived that they are darker. And so they take then jump to the extreme. Oh, he's a little bit darker than me. That means he's black. And I'm pink, but I need to take it to extreme. So I'm white. And so th- these, these extremes are crazy. Well, we're all colored. That's, where, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. black is the absence of color. White is the absence of color. Dr. King talks about people developing their own emancipation proclamation. Uh-huh. Uh, I was in Boston a few years ago and uh, was visiting some places. So I came up with a podcast on people writing their own declaration of independence from mm-hmm. whatever they feel is constraining them in their life whether that's chewing your fingernails or right. or whatever. Uh, but people always say, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, you, you can, America's a land of opportunity. They weren't given the opportunity. No, absolutely not. And he says that over and over again in this speech and other speeches, and the, the sociological research and evidence on this is overwhelming. They don't, everything that is, that, Every possible bootstrap is denied to them. So they can't, you literally can't do it. Dr. King says in here that the plantation and the ghetto were created by those who had power, both to confine those who had no power and to perpetuate their powerlessness. Right. He also goes on to say that in uh, in this speech and in, in the speech he gave the night before he was assassinated, famously called the um, I've Been to the Mountaintop speech, another just fabulous speech. And again, another speech where the first half of it is largely ignored by, by uh, history documentaries. He talks about African-Americans as, an, as a nation, if you will, as a group, have the purchasing power greater than all but nine countries in the world. So this is in the 60s. So if you took the, the economic power of all the countries in the world or all the groups of people in the world, the first 10 would be the U.S., Canada, Britain, Germany, or whatever. So we, well, African-American purchasing power is number 10 in the world, and there are, there are 250 countries or whatever. So he's saying we have all this power, we just don't realize it. And if we withhold the 10th largest uh, uh, there's the 10th largest amount of dollars from American retailers. They are going to listen to us. This is our Declaration of Independence. We, need, we not only need to, to fight against some um, uh, legal restriction, uh, legal uh, segregation, but economic segregation. So what we want to do is figure out, evaluate and inventory our strengths, talents, and abilities. And I think a lot of us don't know what, we don't realize how powerful. I would never would have thought if I'd have been an African. I, know, I didn't know this at all until he said it. And I, and I fact-checked it. It was true. I didn't know that that was possible. And I think today of the, of the environmental movement, if the environmental movement got together, the purchasing power of all the environmentalists in the world is, would be number five or six in the world. And so in our personal lives, we don't think, hey, wait a minute. I have, I have the power to make a decision to do something that not only affects me but affects my immediate environment. So what I when I'm with the patients, the people that I deal with, Professor, I often say to them, I'm not interested in what you can't do. Right. What I'm interested is what you can do. Mm-hmm. And we're going to reverse the lenses in your glasses. I'd like you to make an inventory of your strengths, your talents and abilities, or your group's strengths, talents, and abilities. Right. And move. From, no one, no one moves right. from a position of weakness, ever. But 
as you say, you have to reckon, you have to sit down and really think carefully what the strengths you have are, because there are strengths, well, at least what Dr. King is saying about the civil rights movement in the African-American community is we have these strengths that, pe- that we don't know we have. And when you actually put them together in conglomeration in community, we're incredibly powerful. It's not burning down someone's right. building or their house or throwing rocks or doing those types of things. Dr. King, I, I love when Walter Ruther, Dr. King, named uh-huh. him, and Walter Ruther said uh, power is having people say yes when they want to say no. Yeah, yeah, right. That's power. Right. And, and, and uh, I, don't, I hope, I hope uh, Fishing Without Bait listeners don't mind that I actually read that full quote because Please. Dr. King says, Walter Ruther, who was a great big union leader back in, in the 50s and 40s, 50s and 60s, and I'll quote Dr. King here, Walter Ruther defined power one day. He said, quote, power is the ability of a labor union like UAW, United Auto Workers, to make the most powerful corporation in the world, General Motors, say yes when it wants to say no. That's power. That's the economic power that he's talking about that African-Americans have harnessed and need to keep harnessing in order to bring about change. So quotes are often misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. King says there's nothing wrong with power if it's used oh. correctly. Oh, right. So that reminds me of the Paul in the, again, in the Bible is often misquoted. The only portion of the statement they use is money is the root of all evil. Right. When actually what he truly said was, the love of, of money, money is yeah. the root of all evil. People just seem to leave that out. No, that's right. That's right. And, and as Dr. King says here, what is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. So when people say love conquers all, love with power may conquer all. Mm-hmm. That's what Dr. King says. Love is wonderful. However, we have to have some depth and weight behind that. In the 12-step world, it said that the message that can interest and hold these people must have depth and weight. We just can't say, uh, do it because it's good for you. (laughs) You have to show them how it's going to be good for you. That's what interests me so much. You know, I I see so many of these books, for instance, on historical figures like Dr. King, like Winston Churchill... And there's a lot of them are, you know, how you can how can you can lead your organization like Churchill, Churchill's leadership strategies for marketing in the 21st century. And they're just as shallow as they can be. And unfortunately, they're overlooking what the people really did that could be applied to to um, to marketing strategies in the 21st century. But no, they want the, the, the nice little quote that fits on the on the on the on the on the tweet or whatever. And, and not go any deeper. And that's exactly what you're, what you're saying. Going the depth is absolutely essential. When, when he says, and I say to you today, now this is back in 1967, yeah. if our nation can spend $35 billion a year to fight an unjust evil war in Vietnam and $20 billion to put on a man in the moon, it can spend billions of dollars to put God's children on their own two feet right here on Earth. But, you know, right. that type of thought is an anthema to people who worship money, mm-hmm. uh, the Catholic Pope, Pope Francis, one of the first things he did was stood in front of the Curia, the religious body that, who makes things happen there. He said to them, one of the first things he said to them, you have lost your way. Right, right. Well, and I think, I just give a personal opinion, 
our country's lost its way because not only was this the spending, national spending out of balance back then, it's still out of balance. 55% of national income goes to the military. 55%. And most, most people who complain about the government complain that it all goes to welfare mothers and stuff. And then it's literally untrue. So, you know, our priorities are backwards. And all kinds of people, moderates like Eisenhower, keep telling, kept telling us about this. This is a problem. It's going to get worse and going to get worse. And it never gets addressed. Well, people always say, you know, invest in the military, invest in the military. I think it would blow people's minds if they understood that the United States spends more money on defense than the Soviet Union, Russia, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and China, mm-hmm. and the next seven countries behind it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Russia outspends us. No, they don't. No. We dwarf them. Yeah. It is an enormous amount of money. And, and the percentage is really, really very, very troubling. If you look at the military percentage, 55% versus the, the, the educational percentage, which is like 16%, it's really, you know, what does that say about our values? Well... Sometimes I irritate people, and I'm not running the friendship club. So <laughs> I I tell people that it's not being a mama, it's not being a daddy, it's not being a brother or a sister or a friend or an employee that define who you are. It's your values and your choices that define who you are. Yeah, Your values and your choices. Right. And I think we see what's a lot of whoever has the power values and choices are today. Yeah, I think that I think that's absolutely true. And even though we've had some great people in our past try to try to point those things out to us, again, I we don't pay enough attention, and then we idolize them for much much smaller slice of what they actually did. Even though that's a very admirable thing too, right? The inspirational speeches and the motivation, all that's very very important. But we've forgotten this message of get to work. So have you ever heard, somebody really ought to do something about that? Well, I was thinking... How of, often is that? Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And, 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 and somebody, what they really mean is somebody else ought to do something about that. Absolutely. <laughs> Gee, some, why isn't somebody doing something about that? Yeah. Well, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not the... I don't have any, any of those answers, except that I think that this, is, this speech in sp- specifically is an excellent model. Well, Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change that you want to do in the world. People say, well, what can I do? Mm -hmm. I don't do anything. People just seem to to walk past. Uh, One of uh, Pink Floyd's best songs, I think it was absolutely inspired, was for The Turning Away. And I, did, I can't remember. Yeah. It, it, we, that was high school for me. Well, he talks about, uh, they talk about for the turning away, about how people shun uh, or turn away from people who need help. Right. Well, and as, as you've mentioned stories in the Bible before, what makes the Good Samaritan the Good Samaritans is he looks down at the, at the injured uh, traveler, and unlike the other two people that pass by, doesn't, doesn't think... What's going to happen if I step down to help this person? What's going to happen to me? The Good Samaritan thinks if I don't step down to help this person, what's going to happen to him? Well, as you get like, off the, uh, as get you off the like horse. to provide the details behind the story in history, uh, a little bit, and we did a, actually a podcast on this. Samaria was northern Israel, okay, mm-hmm. and what the uh, Iranian, the Persian Empire, other empires, their, one of their favorite tactics was when they conquered a part of a country, they would remove the elites. 
okay, mm-hmm. and take them to their own country, and they would replace them, integrate them with their own people, mm-hmm. and they would intermarry with with the with the, the people with the Jewish people there, and that was an again an anthema for the Orthodox Jews, right. okay, that they these people would intermarry with infidels or Gentiles, okay? Mm-hmm. So they named them Samaritans. Mm-hmm. So Samaritans were despised in, right. in, in Israel and in Jerusalem, which was Jesus's point in that saying. Because this is the good Samaritan. Yeah, here's this despised individual, and all these so-called righteous people walk past them, a Pharisee, mm-hmm. the people... Levites would walk past this man who was their one of their own, right? And one a despised person took pity on that person. And Jesus, at the end of that story, says, "Who's this person's brother?" Right. Exactly. Well, you know more about the ancient history and the biblical history than I do. I'm. I get to one of my favorite things in history to do is to employ our famous get out clause, which is to say, "That's not my period." <laughs> I, I do 19th century. History, uh, and so I can say I'm not an expert in that, but that's that's certainly the the story. That's certainly the Bible story, right? However, most people, uh, and, and I love this line that Dr. King says: "This is no time for romantic illusions and empty philosophical debates about freedom. This is a time for action." Yeah, and I tell people, I say, you know what? All you're doing is preaching to the choir. You're sitting in a room full of individuals who agree with what you say, and you're exactly. all and you're all justifiably outraged. Yeah, but then you go home and don't do anything. That's about correct. It. What I suggest to people is is advocate for the people who have some power and support the causes that you support. Support those people. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. challenge people to do that. Yeah. But everybody, how many people, oh, I don't want to get involved. Uh, you know, one of the famous lines, oh, I don't have a dog in that fight. Uh, yeah. And when, when and Dr. King and other people are saying, but, well, neither did the Good Samaritan, but he did it anyway. Not at all. Because in the 12-step world, one of the main philosophies is do the next right thing. Right. Do the next right thing. It's um, it's and, just amazing. And not be satisfied if the conditions around you aren't right. In fact, Dr. King again uh, sort of starts concluding his speech by saying, I want to conclude today that by saying today that we have a task and let us go out with a divine dissatisfaction. We don't like the way these things are, and we're going to do something about it. We have a task to do rather than just talk about it. Well, when something offends people's sensibilities, they just want to remove it. Right. Well, the homeless people, let's put them in jail. These people, let's just get them out of our sight. Let's just put them in jail. Or years ago when uh, the solution for capital punishment, we'll just kill them. Capital punishment right. for everything. Right. And Dr. King says, for through violence, you may murder a murderer, but you can't murder murder. Right. Right. It doesn't, do, it doesn't, it doesn't bring about what you think it's going to bring about, unless your true purpose is just vengeance, and then that's a whole other problem. Darkness cannot put out darkness. Only light can do that. That's right. Years ago, New York State had capital punishment for drug dealers. Yeah. And what they found out that the drug dealers knew they were going to be executed, so they'd shoot it out with the police. Kill policemen, yeah. kill innocent people. Yeah. So they were sent to that. Eventually, calmer heads prevailed. And 
like almost all of his other speeches, he ends with the sort of tying it with sort of tying it together with the gospel. And so he he says, "Look, it's going. We have these tasks. We have these things we must do, but it's going to be difficult." He quotes his one of his favorite inspirational people, James Weldon Johnson, and says, "Who's a poet?" Says, "Stony the road we we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days." When hope unborn had died, yet with a steady beat have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed. In other words, all this stuff is, is was hard for them. It's going to be hard for us, but we we just have to keep pushing and we have to keep working. I appreciate toward the end of Dr. King's speech where he gets people motivated. Yes. Yeah. When the part where he keeps saying, let us be dissatisfied, let mm-hmm. us be dissatisfied. And it's it's amazing. And uh, it's it's no wonder that people would be up on their their feet. No, no, there's no wonder at all. Even just listening to the YouTube clip, I get all excited. And I'm, you know, I was only five when Dr. King was killed. So this is not this is not not close to my own personal experience at all. Yet the truth is just so stark and so and right there in front of you, and telling us what to do, right to our faces, or right to our ears. I should say yes. Yes, and and suggesting, is open your eyes. This is what we ask people to do, Professor. We ask people mm-hmm. to walk through life with their eyes wide open, to live their life rather than get through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times have you heard people say, oh, I wish this day were over, or turn the channel? <laughs> yeah, well, unless you're going to die in your sleep, that tomorrow's another day. <laughs> right, right. So, and again, in the, the Christian Bible, uh, they talk about this king that, stores all of his goods in all these barns, and it just accumulates this fantastic wealth. And the angel of death comes to him that night and says, you fool, this yeah. very night your life will be required of you. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's we have to start thinking, oh, I almost said think out of the box. Sorry, folks, that's a, that's a terrible cliche. Uh, but we have to start thinking outside of ourselves that way. And again, I think, Reconcentrating, refocusing on the details of work. What's what, important? Right. You said what is it? You said in the twelve step program, this is do the next best. Do thing. the next right thing. Do the next right thing. That's a fantastic concept. Do the next, the next right, right thing. thing. If anybody has seen the Frozen Two movie, it's excellent. I took my grandchildren to see it. Excellent movie. And there's a whole song in there, and that's what that's what the the refrain is. Do the next right thing. Do oh, no, the right kidding. thing. I'm thinking to myself, this is twelve step talk. <laughs> <laughs> somebody owes somebody some royalties. Well, it's 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 definitely twelve step talk. But what we try to do, professors, try to help people figure out what's important. There yeah. are so many things in life that are not. And I think if we don't examine the details of what's going on, then we won't learn what's important. And I think that's what Dr. King is telling when us. When people speech. figure out what's important, uh, and I'll tell this story a little bit. It's in my origin story, but I had a great uncle years ago. He and his brothers, one of them was my great great grandfather. They owned a, a department store. They had some means, and uh, the depression came, and people naturally would buy things on credit, and these people were bringing back the couches, bringing back things and saying, uh, Mr. Armeyer, we treated this well. We didn't take any, but we can't pay for it, and we're returning it. It broke his heart. Yeah. And uh, one day he put an ad in the paper, and it said, I, Harry Armeyer, as of this day, forget all debts, both business and personal. 
and it ruined him. It uh. ruined the man financially. He lived with my great-grandfather the rest of his life. And they often asked him, they said, Harry, why did you do that? Yeah. Because the banks weren't as gracious. Oh, no. They okay? no, weren't no, no. as forgiving. And he always said, he said it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do, and it probably gave him immense internal peace. So when we, my family, we always have a tradition on Memorial Day, we go up and we take care of the graves. They're all together. And I, I tell this story. I said, he may not be the richest man in this cemetery, but he may be the best man in this cemetery. Yeah, that's right. And by, by his deeds shall you know him. And yes. that's how you know him is because that's of correct. what he did. Yeah. That's correct. So what does is, what is all these things avail you? But, of course, we have to be realistic. You have to have something to put gas in your car. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, flights of fancy and uh, wandering around the world with uh, just in a toga. And yeah. <laughs> but, but, but King is saying don't boycott the absolute necessities of life. You have to get your potatoes. You have to get your meat. You have to get this to live. But you don't have to buy seal to has ice cream. That's correct. You don't have to drink Coca-Cola. Those are luxuries. And if you can assert economic pressure on a company to behave better by withdrawing your funds, withdrawing your dollar, then you can bring change about. Yes. It's amazing that they wouldn't want people to sit to swim in their swimming pool, but they'd want them to spend money in their stores. Right. Or they want the same people to clean their swimming pool, but not, not swim. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, it's so one, one of the things that Jesus said was who is so low, they are not my brother. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this is one of the things that I often talk to people about, and I, I make no apologies that I'm not a Christian, but I follow, uh, what Jesus said. And Bill Wilson in the 12 step book said, the Christ I concede the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claim him. Yeah. The Bible's Jesus refers 184 times in the New Testament about the responsibility to help the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the falsely imprisoned, the weak. Do you think he meant it, Professor? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> yeah. the fact that it shows up in all four Gospels and all, yeah, yeah. again and again and again. Again yeah. and again. So my thoughts are, if whatever we cross over into, if you're before the divine, if you're before whatever it is, and that might say to you, I gave you gifts, talents, and abilities. What'd you do with them? Right. Well, I did. I wanted to stress that if you use those talents and abilities in the in the best way, do the next right thing. And if the community uses its talents and abilities and does the next right thing, then you can talk about getting to a better future because you will have accomplishment accomplished it. The most moving part of the speech, and I want to apologize to the listeners, is that I'm going to read it out, and I think Please. you should definitely go online. And, and hear the speech or email me, info at professorbuzzkill.com. Um, that's a little plug there, a little shameless plug. And I'll send you a copy of this speech that, I've, that I sent to Jim, and I'll send my, my explanation why I think it fit into the show, and I think you'll get, you'll get a lot out of it. But anyway, he says, this is, he, remember, he's talking in this whole speech about the idea, where do we go from here? And he's saying, if we do these things that we've done before, the consumer boycotts, the political pressure, we will reach a point where, and this is what he says, this is our hope for the future, and with this faith, because of what people have done, what the people in the movement have done, we will be able to sing in, not, in, in some not-too-distant tomorrow with a cosmic past tense. We have overcome, we have overcome, 
deep in my heart, I did believe we would overcome. So he's saying we need to get to that. We need to get to that point where we we can use that cosmic pad past tense because we did it. It's you've seen the signs up there go from saying I have cancer to I had cancer. Right. But however, that takes that takes a team effort to get that done. Right. And I think if people go back and they look at these things, the detailed work that goes into all this all of this and all of their own personal struggles, they'll well, take heart from it. We often talk about, well, that person's lucky, this person's lucky. There is no such thing as luck as far as I'm concerned. Uh, one of the things that Benjamin Franklin said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> there is chance, of course, uh, like a pigeon pooping on your head if you're walking through Pittsburgh. But uh, it's, it's never happened to me, by the way. <laughs> there's there, Luck has been defined as when preparation meets opportunity. Well, sure, yeah. So preparation, it's, it's, it's the action and effort. I often tell people when I talk at rehabs, I say, you know what? The two words that mean the most to me in 12-step recovery are not God or spirituality. It's action and effort. Mm-hmm. Action and effort. And then you can eventually employ that cosmic past tense, I did overcome. Indeed. So our challenge out there to every one of these, our challenge podcasts, is to inventory your gifts, talents, and abilities. Use those. Enhance those. Find out what works in your life. We Too often we, find, we concentrate too much on the negative aspects in our life and go back and find out how that happened. I'm challenging everyone out there, when you had a good time in your life, when things were well, add to and reinforce the things that work. And as always, at the end of every uh, podcast, we offer a free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for another. Do a kindness for yourself. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Until next time, Professor, thank you so much for being with us. Namaste. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.